was told also on a larger scale, I was told by society, that's who's going to meet my needs are the people I'm in a monogamous, romantic, sexual relationship. That's the story that I very much was aware of being fed, but I wasn't interested in anyone that way. So I was like, I'm clearly going to have to do relationships in other ways. Like I said, I just always question things. So the idea of meeting the needs of your friends, whether that's like kissing or sexual, like having sex with each other, that didn't seem odd to me. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 237. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful interview with Sunny. We cover a lot of topics in this interview, including exploring who you are as a person, where you fit in in society, and how do you create and cultivate your own community. Yeah, it's a beautiful interview. And so a huge thank you to Sunny for coming on and sharing your story. And a quick note, a quick programming note, uh, Sunny refers to themselves as Sunny and Sam. And so we didn't, we didn't edit that out and we didn't want anybody to think that maybe we had violated their consent. So just, just a note on that, um, but we decided to call the episode Sunny because it's bright and sunny. And it's sunny here today. It is sunny here today, which is amazing. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, well, I just thought it was a coincidence. It's not, it's not often that sunny here. <laughs> uh, before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of announcements. First up, if you're out there looking for community, we'd love for you to check out our Patreon community. We're incredibly grateful for each and every one of you that is part of that amazing group of people. As part of the Patreon group, we have monthly Q&As, we have an ongoing Mimi chat, and we have men's groups and women's groups calls. So if you're interested at all, go check out our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the Patreon button, and you'll find all of the information there. Yeah, and a quick note on the men's and women's group calls. Those calls are actually open to anybody of any gender, and we've had non-binary folks and trans folks join us in uh, both groups and have told us that they feel extremely welcome and loved and supported in those spaces. So uh, just please know that those are open to anyone and everyone. Yes, it's a really important clarification. Also, we have an upcoming June virtual meet and greet on June 9th. That's a Thursday. So these virtual meet and greets are open to anyone that wants to join. You just must be respectful and open-minded. And all the information is on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, under the community events tab. Yeah, and I guess we probably haven't talked about these in a long time, what they what they actually look That's like. That's true. We haven't. So basically, we bring everyone into a giant Zoom meeting, and we ask different questions. Well, we, we go around and do introductions, and then we just ask a question that kind of spurs conversation. And then we send people into smaller breakout rooms with like three to four other people. And you talk about that question for five to ten minutes, and then we bring you back to the main room. We scramble the rooms. We ask a new question. And away you go. It's a wonderful, low-pressure environment just to meet like-minded people. Yeah. We've been having a great time with them the last couple of years that we've been doing them. And we're just super excited to keep on keeping on. Yes. So hope to see you there on June 9th. That's a Thursday evening from uh, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. <laughs> Time zones are important. Time zones are important. Thank you. <laughs> All right. The last thing we wanted to mention before we jump into the interview is a quick little shout out to one of our favorite affiliate partners, actually our favorite affiliate partner, uh, stdcheck.com. This is the service Emma and I use to get tested for STIs. It is fast. It is easy. And if you use the links on our website, it costs about $130. You save $10 making it $130, and it helps support the show financially. So it is also an affordable way to get tested for STIs. And we, again, this is the service Emma and I use. We'd love for you to check it out. And if you've used it in the past, send us a testimonial. You can send us an email or a voicemail on our website under the Contact Us tab. Let us know if you loved it and if we can use your testimonial to help other people find it and get tested. And I mean, I think the hope here is everyone's getting tested all the time and Everyone's super safe and happy and right? healthy. Right, right? That's it. I hope so. That's the goal. <laughs> All right. 
Before, actually, I have one more thing. Of course you do. Before we jump into the interviews, this is really quick. Just a quick shout out. Last week and the week before, we were on two other podcasts. And so we'll have links in the show notes. But uh, we've been on Plus Size Polyamory, and that's episode 23. And Open Late with Jessica, and that's episode 35. And so both on of On their shows. On their shows. And they've also been on our show. So we'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Go listen and check them out. Yes. Check us out. Yes. <laughs> and them on their on I'll, those their episodes too. I'll be checking you out. Oh no. <laughs> Let's go talk to Sunny. Welcome to the show, Sunny. It's so nice to meet you and we're excited to have you here. Thanks for thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited to meet y'all and to share my story. Yeah, well, let's just jump right into it. If if you don't mind giving us a little background introduction on who who Sunny is. Yeah, um, I grew up on the East Coast, like in the D.C. area. I am 25. I am polyamorous. Um, background information. So... Yeah, I grew up a very lonely kid, so I was actually very interested in people because I felt this big disconnect from people. So I always felt very interested and curious about people and relationships. So I think Mm -hmm. that was always something my young mind was curious about and wondering about. I've always felt like a weirdo, kind of like someone who questioned lots of things and thought like why do people do things certain way so I just had a very um rebellious mind that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah yeah and how did like how did you explore that I mean in your early days like I mean I know we'll get into the non-monogamy piece I assume like that wasn't like oh man I'm feeling a little weird at four I think polyamory is like the right move (laughs) for me so I, I assume it wasn't that early but like what did the like that interest in people and relationships, what did that look like early on? So for me, I actually, the first thing that comes off was I got very interested in sexuality at a young age, but not as in like a, Oh, this is turning me on thing, but just like a very curious watcher. Like, Oh, what is this thing? I want to learn about it. Kind of like one watches like cartoons. I was very interested in humans interacting with each other sexually at a young age. Um, because I was also curious about how humans interacted with each other, just period and romantically. And I learned actually very early that sex and romance were very linked. So young, I was very interested in watching a lot of like porn, but basically how one watches movies. Like I was just like, huh. So this is how they interact with each other, like in a physical body way. That's very fascinating. So I did like research like online that way. Um, But yeah, that's one of the first things that that popped up was like, I was very interested in learning about human bodies and um, how they interacted with each other. Mm -hmm. And where did it, your curiosity leads you from there? Um, I got very into erotica. And from there, I got very interested in kink and BDSM. And that world was super fascinating for me and how they did their own relationships, like DS dynamics, power exchange. I was really interested in different ways one could do relationships. Like from there, there was just like a steady progression of, oh, whoa, this is different and interesting and kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this, the t- like, this was all when you were a teenager. I'm just kind of like put a, a timeline, time, on timeline on it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I started reading a lot of like erotica, fan fiction, et cetera. Shout out to archive of our own. Um, and yeah, I found also like a Tumblr like blogging community as well, where there was a lot of people who were posting not just like porn, but their own bodies. Um, mm-hmm. And so from like later teens to, you know, I was very introduced into that kink world, which a lot of it is actually 
some of it is pretty toxic, especially in like, as a minor, I don't think I should have been like exposed to BDSM concepts. Absolutely. I mean, I'm very like passionate about like minors not being in those spaces and like making sure it's an adults only space. But yeah, I was exposed to that as a young person. Um, and I was very fascinated by it and yeah, in my teen years. So I found this like little blogging community that went from like the not safe for work and exploring kinks to also finding a queer and trans community. And they were very interwoven, like the kinky Mm -hmm. and queer, um, uh, both like rebelling in terms of like what they're doing with their bodies, how they choose to engage in sex, gender roles. Like there was a lot of overlap. And so I just naturally was like, Ooh, what is this thing of gender and sexuality? And then I, around 14, 15, I realized I was bisexual um, 17, 18, I started learning more about gender identities and realized like, Oh, let me explore this thing of gender and realized I was non-binary and for a while I was going by any pronouns and was exploring lots of different gender identities, expressions, how that felt. But, and it shifted throughout the years for me. It's been an interesting, beautiful journey, my relationship to gender and it could change also in the future uh so yeah Yeah. and then i found out i'm you know uh non-binary queer uh once i turned 18 i started like posting my own i started exploring my own relationship to my own sexuality and opened that through an online avenue and had my own blog and i was very much adamant about showcasing queer fat, non-binary, trans, black, disabled, et cetera, bodies. Like I felt very passionate about creating my own kind of porn and art around these things. And so I was curating a blog like that. Um, and that was really exciting to explore that. Yeah. Does the blog still exist? It does still exist, but unfortunately it's much less cool because Tumblr banned titties. So <laughs> since the titty ban, most of my, I started, like, I have lots of nudes of my own body. A lot of it, it's, some of it's artistic, some of it is just straight up pornographic, but it's very much wanting to explore, like, love of queer bodies, fat bodies, like, um, my own body self-love. Like, it was very interwoven in the content that I was creating. But yeah, unfortunately, since... Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Sesta Fosta and all yeah. that yeah. bullshit, but yeah, it just killed Tumblr. So I <clears throat> very rarely post on there, but yeah, I was doing some like sex work there for a little bit and it was beautiful. I loved connecting with the queer, like kink community there and sex worker community. It was just such a beautiful community there. Yeah. That's amazing. And do you, can you, are you open to backing up a little bit and talking about your gender exploration and the, like the journey that that was, because it sounds like it has and still is and still is. That's what I'm saying. It <laughs> sounds like it, it could change it. Very yeah, much like, is still that journey. But like, what, what did that look like? Cause I think I'm just assuming there's a whole bunch of people out there who are like, I like, it sounds like you were like, this is a whole new thing. What do I do with this? And so what, like, what did you do with it? Yeah. So the first thing I did was arm myself with beautiful knowledge. And I was doing research about uh, the history of gender and what does masculine mean? What does feminine mean? And also when you're queer, so like um, specifically as a queer woman, you know, I was socialized as a woman. And so as a queer woman, it can get very lines blurred around masculinity, femininity, gender of like, um, yeah. So I actually in the Tumblr world, I saw this, I was following this trans guy who was very feminine and I felt very enamored with like, the things they would post, like these very feminine looking guys, but also sometimes looked like girls, but also kind of looked like tomboys. Like there was just so much like androgyny happening that I felt super, super attracted to and wanted to both like 
yeah, I felt both a, um, a connection and also a wanting to move towards that. My first, I guess, forays into that were cutting my hair short. Um, I've had the buzz cut short hair for like a really long time. I explore like wearing more quote unquote, like masculine clothes. And I actually got before I even realized I was on binary and trans, I actually had a really big emotional reaction to my grandmother, not letting me wear my grandfather's clothes when I was like 15 or 16, I was like wanting to wear his pants his sweaters, his clothes. And she was like, no, those are men's clothes. And I actually had a really big reaction to it. I was incredibly upset and I didn't really know why. Um, but yeah, it was a really upsetting experience. And so, yeah, just exploring the concepts of what is masculinity? What is femininity? How do I want to present? It was a very internal process and questioning Mm -hmm a lot of concepts and how do I relate to these concepts? How do I want to embody or not embody these concepts? How do I want to be seen by the world? How am I being seen by the world? It's a lot of deep introspection um, is what it felt like. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and thank you. And also, I just have to say that I love your haircut, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's, it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you. You said one of one of the first things you did was armed yourself with knowledge. And if you have any like of the resources that you would recommend out there, like yeah. feel free to throw them out right now. Cause like I just that's a big one. And I think the more resources people have for that, like if there's any off the top of your head, and I will say this too, if you think of some in the next few weeks, send them to us and we will put yeah. them in the show notes. So that's that's for you and for the listener that there will be resources there even if you don't hear them spoken right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me make a little note to myself because I would absolutely love to get those resources. Because, yeah, there's so many people that I'm sure are questioning their relationship to their own gender and wanting to explore. And I just encourage, in general, exploration of gender. Even if you realize, you know what, actually I'm cisgender and I'm comfortable expressing it in this way and, you know... I still encourage exploration of identity and self and questioning things. So yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have any at the top of my head, but I will gather yeah. those to share. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that journey too, because it's, I mean, there's so many people out there. Uh, I mean, like you said, you encourage everyone to go on that journey and, and there are a lot of people that are exploring. So I appreciate you touching on that. Yeah. How, how supportive was your family through this? process of exploration or family and friends or i mean it sounds like maybe grandma had a little bit of a hard time with you wearing (laughs) grandpa's clothes but like overall like how was the support system for you in that journey um so luckily i i felt very supported like through online community as i was saying Mm -hmm. in terms of in person um my i'm a twin and my sister is I love her to death and she was very supportive of me when I told her I want to be called Sam and no longer be called like my birth name as I was called my birth name in my family and that I didn't like being called she, her. I wanted to be referred to as they, them because I felt more comfortable for me. I don't, and you know, and just talking to her about what everything and t- just, I was telling her about my experiences. Like I was telling her when I'm called a woman, when I'm called she, her, when I'm, called my dead name i feel this way i feel unseen i feel uncomfortable there's a feeling of hurt there's like twinges of pain from your own loved ones calling you that and not being seen as your full self by people you want to be seen by and love so in her hearing that she has called me sam um you know since she's called me by my name she refers to me with my pronouns as much as possible, or if she struggles, just refers to me by my name. My mom really struggled with, uh, I think she very much struggles with understanding non-binary identities. I think she's trying, I want to believe she's trying her best. Um, she has not once gendered me correctly since I've come out to her and we've had actually really, upsetting conversations about topics of gender. And um, she said things to me that felt really hurtful to hear. Like uh, she'll always see me as her daughter. Um, That felt really 
really bad to hear. And, but recently she at least tries to get my name correct. That feels good. But, uh, yeah, sometimes I struggle and often it feels like she doesn't really try, but I'm not really out to the rest of my blood family. So it's mostly my like chosen family that I felt like very supported by, especially in my, you know, early twenties and exploring queer community. I had a lot of queer trans friends once I hit like 21, 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. And it sounds like it's been not just an interpersonal journey, but then a familial journey uh, with, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story and thank you. Well, it sounds like that you really leaned on the online community and you found maybe where you felt most at home there with those people. Um, Oh yeah. Like I said, up until like a few years ago, I was a very, very lonely person. I felt very, um, like I said, my interest in people stemmed from feeling so disconnected and apart from people. And so that loneliness, I gravitated towards online because that's felt safer and more accessible than like face-to-face interacting with humans felt much more complex for me. (laughs) Amen to that. Um. (laughs) It is complex. There's no, there's no way around that. Uh, Where did non-monogamy show up in your journey? Where did, where did that piece start? So, like I said, that being a very lonely person growing up and also being told that, so I actually didn't experience and have a romantic relationship until my twenties. Um, I never had a romantic relationship and I didn't actually really experience romantic attraction towards folks and except once in high school is when I experienced like this obsessive crush towards a senior and I was a freshman. But outside of that, like until I was adult, I didn't feel attraction in terms of romantic or sexual desire towards my peers. So right off the bat, it seemed to me that I was told also on a larger scale, I was told by society, that's who's going to meet my needs are the people I'm in a monogamous, romantic, sexual relationship. That's the story that I very much was aware I'm being fed, but I wasn't interested in anyone that way. So I was like, I'm clearly going to have to do relationships in other ways. And like I said, I just always question things. So the idea of meeting the needs of your friends, whether that's like kissing or sexual, like having sex with each other, that didn't seem odd to me um, as someone who wasn't romantically monogamously interested in anyone like ever. I don't think I've ever experienced that. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of a weird case where I've never been in a monogamous relationship and I've never had any specific desire to be monogamous with someone. So it just felt normal for me to seek other avenues because I never felt drawn to that. Like I was told from all avenues, this is what you should be reaching for. This is the standard. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking around like, I don't want it. I like (laughs) there's no one here that I want to do that with. So I got to do something like I'm still, I still have needs around touch. You know, uh, I still wanted to explore romance. Like I liked flirting. I wanted to kiss people. Like I, you know, so it just, yeah, that just never seemed like, uh, I was never enticed by monogamy ever. (laughs) What? And so what did you, so what did you do with that? Like, like in an actionable sense, like, cause you're kind of coming out of like, you've just sort of broken all of the molds in terms of gender norms. And now you're like, now I got to do it again with relationships. Like right. you, where does that take you? <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really have a lot of relationships in high school. I struggled a lot um, with my mental health in high school. So I was mostly out of high school. And then post high school, I'm an adult now. Um, I had sex for the first time with a old coworker and it was a beautiful experience. And I was 19 was when I had sex for the first time and I was like, Ooh, I love this. I want more of this. 
And so I hit the dating apps <laughs> and I was like exploring. Um, and I was just, yeah, just chatting with people. I was having sex with people. Um, I wasn't like early on in that stage. I wasn't like communicating much to other people because I was thinking in terms of more casually, I think. So I was having like casual sex with folks after a year of that, I think I was realizing I wasn't very, I wasn't feeling very fulfilled. Like I wasn't feeling mm-hmm. fed from that. I was still feeling hungry for something else. And so, yeah. And so I decided, okay, I want to actually like make friends. Like I want to start with a foundation of friendship and then also be talking about dating other people. Like that just seemed like, uh, you know, like natural to me instead of just hooking up with folks like, okay, let's actually like build connections with folks and also talk about like, Hey, do you have other partners? Are you seeing other people like adding more of a communication and more intentional element to it than kind of just like doing my own thing. Um, So I've been very solo minded as well. I haven't had like a couple centric kind of like, um, desires if that makes sense yeah um yeah i've been very much like wanting to explore as a, a solo sunny <laughs> right. Right. so uh yeah so i started i met this person who invited me to um these events and was meeting more actively polyamorous folks and i was learning from them And then I was introduced to this world of like new culture events and they, uh, through events, retreats, et cetera, for polyamorous folks, um, and just, just folks of all stripes. You can be monogamous, just folks of all stripes who are interested in connecting with other people on a deep intentional level. Mm -hmm. And so naturally lots of polyamorous folks were drawn to this. And so, I also met with lots of folks who taught polyamorous skills. And so I was really blessed to be around leaders and teachers who teach other folks communication skills, interpersonal relationship skills. So I was gaining a lot of poly skills knowledge and meeting other poly folks in these circles. And so, yeah, that's how I became like actively ethically like polyamorous um, was through that. So it's been, it, from what you're describing, kind of a journey since you were about 19 and had yeah. sex for the first time. And then it's been the journey since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say that, um, you know, it's interesting to me that you have fallen into it. Well, you found the people that called to you, right? So you found the poly community and these just open-minded, supportive questioning communities, right. That at a young age and fell right into that. And, um, cause I never felt like I belonged to the, the regular, like, you know, normal world. And so I felt gravitated to all these exactly. communities yeah. that also felt like outsiders. Cause I always felt like that. So I just naturally was like, yeah. Oh, these are my people like instantly in these communities. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to find those like at an early age and that it didn't take you 20 years to, to, I mean, it's going to, we all live life. It's all going to be a journey. And, but you were able to find what you felt like were your people early on. And, and that's, that's really beautiful. And I'm glad that you were able to do that. Yeah, me too. Thank you. You had mentioned before we started recording that you had um, lived in West Virginia for a little while. And I wanted to ask you about that experience as well and ask you to expand on what that, <laughs> what that experience was and what it looked like for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I was invited by my friend who I was also kind of dating at the time we were sort of partners. Like we, we were in very gray areas around that time of like, we're friends, but we also sometimes have sex with each other. Um, so yeah, uh, she invited me to this event that was going to be a camp for, uh, queer, trans, non-binary, et cetera, folks in the mountains of rural West Virginia. And at that time, I think I only had one non-binary friend. Um, and I was, this was 2017. So I was 20, I think at that time, 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, early twenties that I was invited and I was like, Oh God, yes. I want to meet other trans folks, other queer folks, other non-binary folks. Like, yes. 
and so I went to this retreat that was about, I don't know, six ish days or something. And I just absolutely fell in love. Like I learned like for the first time ever, I felt at home and I felt like I had a family. Like, yes, I was sharing that I felt this connection to these online communities, but until this moment, until that moment, I had not felt in person, like home family connection like that before. Like I felt Mm -hmm. so held in this beautiful container and it was so different than anything I'd ever seen before. So, um, yeah, there we could be like in designated areas, there was, uh, like your body could be showing. So for the first time ever, I was naked in a Creek and that was so liberating and free. And we had a, uh, open sexuality area where you could see people having sex and, touching themselves and cuddling and talking and flirting. And uh, yeah. And then the next day we had something called the Zeg forum where you can be witnessed in community and be held in the container of like all your emotions for whatever is like under the surface for you. So it's very much about creating community in the container that is, we can hold you in our emotions and it's, we can hold your healing. Like that was the biggest thing about it is it was a place where active healing could happen with each other, like in love and learning together. So yeah. Um, I fell in love with, and it's a nonprofit called a center for new culture East. And there's also a West coast, but I'm mostly familiar with the East coast like events. And yeah, they also, not only this was the first time they did this queer trans retreat, but most of the other events were either poly focused, like learning about poly skills and also making new poly connections or, um, teaching like new culture skills. And basically the whole new culture framework is pulled for multiple things that is creating a nonviolent loving culture that, uh, everyone can thrive under is like as the essential blood of it. So mm-hmm. we teach like consent skills. We teach communication skills, relational skills, emotional processing skills, like uh, emotional responsibility. We teach a lot of things that basically help us be better to each other and to ourselves is mm-hmm. like yeah. the bread of it. That's yeah. amazing. And so you, you went for this retreat, and ended up not not retreating from the retreat, but staying and just like moving in. <laughs> that yeah, no, that is correct. So like, as I fell in love with these events and was just like, I want to go to every single one. And then the I was good friends at that. The friend who invited me was uh, one of the main organizers at this point. Was like, why don't you just move here? Just just come live with us. And I'm like, you know what? I will. And this was my first time leaving the nest. Like I had been only living with my mom to this point. So this was a big leaping, taking flight moment for me. And it was terrifying, but yeah, I I moved into the community and it was our main setup was on this campground that had this beautiful Creek running through it. And just my back, the backyard was just so much gorgeous land and, yeah, when I came back to the DC area, I had to get used to airplanes and traffic sounds. Like it's just so <laughs> quiet there. It's so still. It's so beautiful. And yeah, I lived with about it was like seven to eleven ish people at a time. And we had the campground, and then we also had a home about a mile to two miles ish uh, up the road. And so that's where people stayed. And yeah, pretty much all of us, if not. A majority of us definitely were poly. A lot of us were queer and or non-binary, uh, neurodivergent. Um, yeah, half the people were doing active like social change work around all the stuff I had just listed. So yeah, it, it yeah. was a really cool place to live. And mm-hmm. it was normal to hear sex sounds coming from upstairs while I'm eating lunch. Like that's and also emotional processing. So if someone's upstairs doing deep emotional processing work, they might be 
crying heavily and it was very normalized in that place to just hear sounds of pleasure of sadness of just all of it it was I felt very comfortable to be my full self and I had just never been in a space like that before it felt very special like the Mm -hmm. culture that was created there yeah, sounds it, beautiful. It does. It sounds. It sounds beautiful. How how long did you stay there? And I guess what um, what prompted you, if anything, to move on and and do something different? Because it sounds like you you well you said you're not you're no longer living there. Yeah. Um, so I lived there from well from 2017 to 2018. I was there like every event, so I like kind of half lived there pretty much but in the summer of 2018 I decided to move there full-time moved all my stuff in and was there until the end of the summer of 2021 so I lived there for three years and yeah so for me what I fell in love with with moving there was the events that we were putting on like the new culture events the retreats and obviously when the pandemic hit we weren't Mm -hmm. doing those anymore. And so it was very difficult for me then as an extrovert slut living in rural West Virginia. So I, yeah, when the pandemic shut down, it was just very isolating. Um, My social needs were not getting met. A lot of other needs were not getting met. And so, yeah. And also my, my biggest thing for me for the last several years has been on a healing journey and wanting to focus on, healing from deep wounding, like childhood wounding. And part of that is gaining independence because I wasn't, it didn't feel like I was encouraged and taught how to do things as an independent person. And so I'm currently rediscovering how to do that now. And so the first of that was like leaving, you know, my mom's place. And then after a while, I it just felt time. Like I need to leave, you know, you know, the campground, like I was just not doing great, like mentally. And it just, I felt ready to leave and explore in my own and try coming back into quote unquote regular society as like a new person for the first time, because originally it just didn't mesh for me, like working, like, you know, working and living. And so that's why I wanted to kind of find this alternative like space so I could live and heal and actually, yeah, like, find who am I? What do I want to be doing in the world? Because I felt like I couldn't be doing that in a regular society that I felt very crushed by in a way. And so after I felt like I could, I got some like growth and dirt and sun and water, like let me explore other places now. Like I I have some sustenance now. Let me check out over here. So yeah. 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 I think that like that journey you kind of outlined there is really powerful. Like, cause you, you moved there because you felt so drawn to it, so connected to it. But then over the course of time, as you grew, it sounds like by the end of it, you're like, I wasn't doing well. And I, maybe not that you necessarily outgrew it, but like, you know, there was a pandemic and there were probably other factors, but like, just who you are wasn't who you were three years before when you moved there. And then, and then you just have to like embrace that. But that's also like a bit of mourning, right? Like, well, this place was almost like my safe haven. And now I have to like leave it and go out again into the world. Like, and that's kind of what you did when you went there, like you left home, you left the nest. I'm going to take this big risk and go do this. And now you're doing it again, like leaving your new home. Yeah. to find another new home. Like that's a challenge. So I, I give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And yeah, I didn't realize actually how much, and that was a part of a reason of why I wanted to leave is I, it's so easy for me to stay in my comfort zone and in routine and not be seeking change. Cause that can be actively scary for me. So there's a lot of safety, but there's also a lot of stagnancy when I do that. And that's how depression for me can come up when I feel very stagnant. So I was starting to feel very stagnant there. And so I was craving movement like internally and in my external life. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, no, I I mourned very heavily in when I started like months before thinking about, I think I want to move. I started the mourning process as soon as that thought came up because this, not just the land, but the, the people, the configuration, the memories, all of it felt like my home, the first home I had felt 
the first family I felt, the first time I felt accepted and loved and just just so many things. It was a really big deal for me. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of grieving in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you sharing all of that and, and acknowledging like that, that it is a, it is a journey. There's pieces that are, you know, uh, make you really happy. And there's also great pieces that you have to grieve and changes that happen and, and figuring out how, where you're at through that process. I mean, it's, it takes dedication and self-awareness and, and all of that through that, that journey. So thank you for, for sharing all of that. Um, do you mind touching on kind of where you're at in your life right now, your relationship structure and, and where things are at for you? Yeah. Uh, so currently right now, I very much identify with the like relationship anarchist manifesto and way of doing things of like each individual relationship like you discuss what you want that to look like um yeah so currently i have a few people that i consider like lovers and partners of various degrees and also that's something that i'm also exploring like i sometimes find the usefulness of labels and then other times like when it comes to relationships I don't really care about labels like I kind of just want to do my thing with people and see where it goes and then when other people are like so who's this person to you I'm like uh I mean we have and and go on dates and we see each other often so I guess they're a partner right um (laughs) but yeah but then also sometimes we might go weeks without talking to each other seeing each other um and then we you know, so there's not a lot of, there's a very, um, I don't want to use the word non-committal, but there's a very, like, I try to practice like the Buddhist, like non-attachment kind of thing of like letting relationships organically be what they are moment to moment. That feels very beautiful and important to me to let that happen. Uh, not like force things to happen. Uh, but yeah, so right now to answer your question, I have, uh, right now three active, like sexual partners slash lovers that I try to see like as much as I can. Um, I have a couple people that I am flirting with and hoping to start dating. Um, and I also have a, about three platonic deeply intimate relationships that i like consider is like very gray area of like friend isn't the right word but partner isn't either but it's like a very deep loving relationship that i very much am like you are important to me i want us to be in communication about where we're at i want us to be growing together like i want to hear about your life and your internal world like they feel very much on a same status of like someone that I'm having sex with and seeing in person constantly, even if they're very far away. Like I have um, two of my closest friends are in different States. And so we might not talk to each other for a while, but we're very deeply connected and there's a deep love shared there when we do talk Mm -hmm. and see each other. And I feel very Mm -hmm. like, those are the relationships that I felt the most loved and seen by was like my platonic queer, friends like those are the deepest relationships that i've had uh so yeah those are very important to me so yeah i practice like non-hierarchical solo relationship anarchy fuckery (laughs) perfect (laughs) exactly well and and i i was curious like on the like the journey to get here it was like you said like i never really found the relation, like what society was saying I should do just never really, you look kind of like looked around and you're like, yeah, but with who, like none of these people I'm like feeling that with did, did polyamory feel like natural to you in some ways? Like when you started, you're like, well, this thing that society's telling me to do doesn't really work for me or doesn't seem like it's going to work. But there's this other thing, like once you jumped in and started doing that, did it feel natural or was it like, also hard and challenging along the way not that it couldn't be both like it can also feel natural and be hard and challenging i understand that just yeah 
I was about to say absolutely a hundred percent both. Like (laughs) polyamory felt very natural. It just, if no one had taught me the words polyamory or monogamy, I think I would just do the polyamory thing. Like even if those concepts didn't exist, I would just, I have so much love in me and I love people and people are so hot. Like I want (laughs) to give that love and that desire and explore. And it just, that just makes sense to me to not just do that with one single person for the rest of your life. Like that doesn't, uh, that doesn't attract me and never had. So yeah, poly just was very natural. Like I didn't even think about it. I just was doing it kind of like, I wasn't like, yeah, let me be poly. I was just, I was just doing that naturally. Um, But also as someone who has a lot of childhood trauma, and like I said, was for the first two decades of their life, just incredibly lonely. I had a lot of stuff that came up for me in polyamory. And for me, it wasn't just the feelings of jealousy. It was feelings of distress, fears of abandonment, like deep trauma would come up for me that I didn't realize that I had that was now just right in my face. I'm like, fuck, now I got to heal this shit and figure this out and like love myself through these things. (laughs) So yeah, well, and, both, and, definitely. And how did you work through some of those? Cause those are big things. And like, I think a lot of us feel some or all of those as we do this and, and to various degrees, like what, what for you, what helped you work through those pieces? It was multiple things. So for me, I was incredibly blessed with a community of support. Like I think if I didn't have that, I don't even know where I would be. So like having, like I said, that poly community of support and having mentors who have been, I was living with two people who were in their fifties and sixties who had been poly for decades. And so when I had my own questions, my own problems, I could come to these people who had experience and knowledge and they would share with me. And that was just really, really powerful that was like a really big gift that helped me in my beginning and i'm still i feel like i'm in my beginning poly journey even now (laughs) um yeah so not only did i have mentors and people with experience i also had friends who were brilliant people who had learned their own skills around like like i said i was living with people who taught poly skills taught relational skills so i could pull from these resources from the person and share these things with people. So I was, I was very fortunate and blessed in that way. And at the same time, I was also doing my own research and personal work around attachment trauma, around attachment theory, around, there was a lot of things that I was pulling from. Cause I was like, okay, I'm not only need to learn the poly skills part of it, but I have like, a trauma that I need to tackle on its own, but they need to be together. Cause I'm a lot of trauma healing stuff. Some of it is very monogamous. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's written with a very monogamous framework. And so mm-hmm. like I had to pull from both things of, okay, like, you know, I've read a little bit of, you know, more than two, a little bit of, um, just like here and there from like poly leaders and, uh, experienced folks. So I was doing research on my own and I was also reading up about the latest trauma research, the latest trauma findings from like, uh, Bessel van der Kock, Peter Levine, um, like, et cetera. And so I was learning about what was happening in my own nervous system. So that is like the biggest thing for me was just learning what the fuck was happening because at the moment I was experiencing this thing that felt quote unquote crazy of like, I'm seeing my lover talking, you know, to someone else that they're attracted to. I am having like a panic that they're going to leave me or that I'm not good enough. Like that didn't feel that that felt like a really big response to like this minor thing that was happening. So right then I wanted to find out what is physically happening in my nervous system why is this happening? And so I did also a lot of thinking about my childhood and realizing, holy crap, I was actually like really lonely and holy crap, my parents didn't actually meet my needs enough. And 
holy crap, I'm actually anxiously attached. So like learning about att- attachment styles, learning about what needs weren't met through my childhood and how that's affected me and how I can meet those own needs. It was like a learning a lot of things of learning about needs, learning about boundaries, learning about what activates me and why does this activate me? There was, there was a lot of learning of different processes. Um, yeah. So there's, oh God, I, I would love to like talk so much more about like different like healing modalities that I've learned that have helped me through this. But yeah, it was our, like learning about ways that I could basically do like kind of emotional first aid in a way mm-hmm. when those things would happen. So like a lot of self-soothing, learning about co-regulation, like you can reach out to other people and regulate with them. So a lot of learning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, I think it's so relatable. Well, all of us are, I mean, we're all yeah. human. We all have our you know, different internal struggles and external struggles. And, and like, it's, it's, we're all having to navigate some of all, you know, some pieces of everything you just discussed. And so it's, yeah. thank you for touching on it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also really helped is when I would talk about it and other people would be like, same, same. And I'd be like, Oh God, other people experience this. Like, this isn't like just knowing don't other feel alone. people. Yeah. That's just so important that it's like, okay, I'm just having a normal human experience. Like that, yeah. like that can just be helpful and healing on its own. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Totally. There's something to that uh, for sure. It's like just, you, you just talking about it, you might not even need that person to do anything other than listen and just like, exactly. I'm, I'm not alone is, is a powerful, powerful tool. Well, re- realization, I should say, not a tool, realization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moving forward, where do you see yourself going? In, in relationships and in your, I guess, journey in general in life. I would love to be living again in like an intentional community. And I'm in that group of like other queer folks who want to just have their own like queer poly house. Like I would love that. Like my dream would to be have a house like, uh, that we could access both like when we want like rural, like living to like be in nature and also like in the city, but I want to be living with my loves, my friends, their loves, their friends. Um, and like we do shit together. We help other like baby queers, baby kinksters, baby poly folks. Like, you know, I want, what I wish I had when I was younger, which is like an open family of like, do you need a place to stay? You can come stay with us. Are you having difficulties? Do you want to talk about it? Like I want to create this home for me and my chosen family, but also have that be an open, there'd be this openness of it's like, I don't want it to feel like a closed. It's just us. Like I want us to share this love and share this space with other people because I want more spaces to exist in the world where if you don't have somewhere to go, you can come be with mm-hmm. us. Like we'll share a meal with you. We'll talk with you. Like that feels very important for me to be moving in that direction of continuous loving community building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Has, has the kink you, you touched on that, like early on you were exploring kink, I think in the cradle, but it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. But the has it has it like uh what has that exploration looked like moving forward? Is that still a part of your journey or did you sort of like you got your fill and you sort of determined that really wasn't for you? Oh no, no, no. Uh kink is definitely as much a part of my identity and how I do relationships and like the communities I'm a part of as is like uh polyamory. They feel very much intertwined for me. Um, I'm very interested actually in exploring polyamorous kink relationships where like, that's like a part of like the dynamic between two or even more people. Um, so yeah, no, that's definitely woven into the relationship styles. I want to be exploring with folks and like pretty much all my relationships are with other kinky folks at this point. So it feels like a very big 
part of my life and what I do. I mean, I regularly like who I go to social, like, you know, some people go out to the bar, like meet people that way and have a drink. Like I go out to dungeon sex parties and meet folks that way. Like that's, that's my people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's like how I meet other folks, how I like spend my Friday nights, et cetera. So yeah, it's very Mm -hmm. big part of my life. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I had a, I had a hunch, but I didn't want to paint you into a box. So. The the other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was you mentioned um, that you have a cuddle business. If you're open to talking about that, we'd love to hear more. Hey, that was not part of this episode. That was pre-recording. Right, that's true. <laughs> well, okay. It was you mentioned to us that. Uh, I'm just giving you shit. Okay, you're now you're making me like, like <laughs> reword that question. <laughs> So the whole point of me being an asshole, tell us about your cuddle business. (laughs) Sorry, Emma. Uh Uh (laughs) Y'all are cute. Um, Yeah. So I would love to talk about it because it feels very related to my journey. Um, Like the relationships that have had the most healing power for me have been through platonic loving relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've always just been a very, how I show my love is very touch centric. And so I've always just been a very touchy, cuddly, loving person. And like my friends loving me and holding me and cuddling me was so powerful for me. Like, especially when I would cry or be going through deep healing processes and like moving big emotions, like touch was so powerful and it's healing potential to me. Like that was just very obvious to me when I was exploring this, a new culture community where touch was very normalized, like hugging, Mm -hmm. cuddling. We had cuddle parties. Um, we would have exercises that would explore consent with touch with strangers. And it just, I, I realized really quickly that touch was really important, both in relating with another human, but also it could be for healing one's trauma. And I met someone there who was a good friend of mine who was a professional cuddler and they got paid to cuddle folks. And I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. But then I started doing more research about it and it's way more than just getting paid to cuddle. Like there is heavy education on consent on boundaries. There's a lot of work on keeping your own boundaries like there's so much more. I, yeah. And I was really fascinated by this different kind of healing modality that focused on the power of platonic healing touch. Mm-hmm. And so I found Cuddle Sanctuary and talked with the founder about um, this training that she was going to be doing last fall. And I loved her vision. She has this beautiful, expansive forward vision of what this, it's a very brand new industry. Like it's a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a baby, how brand new this cuddling slash touch therapy industry is. Um, and she has this vision that she wants it to be in like a medical profession and hospitals, like working with therapists. Some therapists are actually also working with professional cuddlers because I'm definitely a proponent for therapy. Absolutely. I love and think therapy is super helpful, but you can't touch your therapy. Your therapist can't cuddle you. Your therapist can't give you a hug, can't hold your hand. And sometimes someone really just needs a fucking hug or to be held while they cry or to talk about shit. Like, and so there, uh, some people are working with therapists, uh, touch, touch professionals. And it can be a very, very healing thing for the client to add that piece. So yeah, I feel really passionate about teaching about consent about the power of touch and how healing it can be. And so I got my certification. I'm a certified touch therapist and I want to, uh, yeah. So this business is new for me and I want to be finding clients who want to learn about how they can better interact with their own boundaries. Like, especially if someone like so many people have had, only had experiences with non-consensual touch. And so those folks, I want to show that touch can be pleasurable and can be, 
consensual and healing and it can be a very beautiful thing to have that safe container to explore in that way and there aren't a lot out there to be able to safely right. explore that so i want to offer a space where people can safely explore what does it mean to be touched in a way that they want like platonically and a lot of people also uh connect sex with touch mm -hmm. and i also feel very passionate about divorcing those things from each other because like i wish i want to see our society hug each other more and cuddle each other more and not it not be based in moving into sex or being inherently sexual like i want to desexualize touch bodies uh intimate intimacy just intimacy in general and connecting with each other like my sessions could have no touching at all uh actually not just touch but deep human connection and being seen and seeing someone else that's like the core of what i want my sessions to be is i want someone to feel connected to another person and like they are cared for and they're supported because that's another thing that people often don't get as well as touch. So I want mm -hmm. those two things together to change the world. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. And, and do you mind <laughs> talking a little bit just high level because the, I, I feel like we've heard of, I think what, what I've heard of in the past is like a sex surrogate, somebody who is basically, you know, you pay them to, for intimacy and like, so we've heard of that, or like perhaps it's somebody who is, um, you know, physically disabled in some way and they're looking for that outlet. So we've, I've heard of that, but like, what is a, like, what goes into the certification process for touch therapy? Just out of curiosity. Also, yeah. I'm just going to interrupt real quick and say congratulations yeah, for finishing because that's Yay! amazing. And I'm so excited for you and the possibilities and moving forward. So yeah, that's amazing. Thank, Thank you, you for yeah. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've been working on it since October, actually really before because I talked with her about it in like July or something. So, but yeah, the class is in October. So I was, I'm very excited. Thank you. Um, yeah. So actually, that's something that I really loved about um, the program. Definitely pays a shout out. So a lot of our stuff pulls from uh, sexual surrogates, pulls from like the emotional intimacy aspect also of escorts. So like mm -hmm. escorts, when they get paid, a lot of times, sometimes they just want to be paid to go on dates and to mm -hmm. chat with the folks. And um, definitely that element is pulled and that's a big part of that. But the biggest thing of the cuddle business and touch therapy business is it's fully platonic, 100% non-sexual. So if someone's looking for a sexual service, then they would definitely need to seek elsewhere, whether that's like an escort or like you said, sexual surrogacy, if they want to be, have the sexual element as well as the relational element. But um, it's very similar, but without the sex piece taken out. So I, what goes into it is a lot of connecting with your own body connecting with your own desires. I might, if someone, it, it could look like in a lot of ways, like when somebody wants to learn how to touch somebody better, we can explore that. Um, if somebody wants to just chat and cuddle and talk about their day because they are super busy and they don't have a lot of friends that they can just cuddle with and it not be a weird thing. Like I, I can do a lot of different things and the session can look very different, but yeah, the biggest thing that sets us apart is it's a 100% platonic non-sexual uh, service. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing the work. And as Emma said, congratulations on, <laughs> on doing that. So it's amazing. And I thank you for sharing everything you've shared with us today. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you absolutely need to get out there in the world and know that you can always come back on? And actually, we will probably be talking to you again. Spoiler alert, we're planning to do an episode with you and then two previous guests because you're all in a relationship together. So that's coming. But is there anything today that needs to get out there? Um, something that is coming up for me is like the power of relationships and how they can either harm or heal us and just how that moves me forward and how I think about that often and how I want to be 
navigating both relationships with myself and with other humans, the outside world. Um, yeah, just relationships are just such a big part of the human fucking experience. I think about it often. I love chatting with it about it. And I'm so happy that I got to talk with y'all about it today. Yeah. 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 They, I mean, it, it, they are like, that's, and it's, it's so, I mean, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that we aren't taught growing up in the traditional school system as much about relationships as like, they are fundamental, not even just romantic and sexual relationships, just relationships in our yeah. lives are fundamental to being human. And, um, yeah, thank you for touching on that. Cause it's, it is beautiful in a lot of ways and also challenging. <laughs> yes. But the challenge is so worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we need that reminder. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sometimes we need that reminder, but absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for yeah. your time today and for everything that you shared. Um, we really love talking to you and um, we're excited for you moving forward and, and excited for another conversation with, with the previous guests as well coming soon. With the triad? Yeah. Is it technically a triad or is it like three relationship anarchists who hang out together a lot? Yeah. Three relationship anarchists who hang out together, love each other, have sex with each other, uh, go out to parties and watch each other have sex with other folks and encourage that and all the beautiful things. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) That is is the official trailer for (laughs) for the upcoming episode, and we're super excited for that. And maybe with that, we'll let you have a beautiful day, and thank you for talking. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it was wonderful talking to y'all. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. And we're back. A huge thank you to Sunny for coming on and sharing your story. It was wonderful to talk to you and we're excited to get this out there. So thank you again. And excited to talk again in a couple of weeks. Yes. Teaser. Teaser. Spoiler alert. (laughs) If you're out there looking for community like-minded people, we'd encourage you to check out our Patreon community as well as we also have virtual monthly meet and greets. The meet and greets are open to anyone. So all of that information is on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can find out everything there. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah. And another reminder that last week we were on two other podcasts. Uh, Open Late with Jessica, that was episode 35, and Plus Size Polyamory with Judy, uh, both former guests of our show, and we were uh, episode 23 on Plus Size Polyamory. Yes. So again, those are episodes on their podcast. Links will be in the show notes. And next week, we have an interview with Kate. It's a fantastic conversation. We're super excited to share that with you in just seven days from now. Yes. And also just a quick reminder, you can go to our website too and reach out to us. There's a contact us button. Send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you if you want to be on the podcast or if you just want to give us some feedback or questions, let us know. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening.